All right. We have been looking at Ephesians. We're going to keep looking at Ephesians. Open your few Bibles. Anybody off the top of the head know where Ephesians is found? Page number? 949. It's been the same for a few weeks. I just, maybe that's my little idiot savant thing. Page 949 in the Pew Bibles. We're up to chapter 2. We've made it all the way through chapter 1. So well done. Well done us. I know. Moving on to chapter 2. This is a big day. This is a big day. This is exciting. All right. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. We actually get to turn to page 950 tonight, so I know, I'm excited. Paul writes this, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses And we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The word of the Lord. So to review, this is what we know so much so far. We know that Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We talked about his identity in the very first sermon, by the will of God and what that meant. We looked at the word saints in a Tuesday chapel and learned about what it means to be a saint in the eyes of our God. We learned about that it was God who predestined us before the foundations of the world to be adopted as his children. And we took that family picture. And if you didn't get one, we've got more in campus ministries. And if you didn't see the big one that I've got on my office door, stop by and take a look and find your own face in the picture. We talked about being family. And last week, we talked about the power of the resurrection. We talked about the fact that God has put all things under the feet of Jesus, that God's power is great and that it extends toward us. That's what we've been up to. And now Paul, it seems, uses some things that we're not familiar with. I mean, we get the idea that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but then he writes this. Following the course of this world... Following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. What? What is he talking about there? The ruler of the power of the air? It seems like he's just kind of pulling something out of the air. (laughs) 
Well, he knows, remember, that he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. He's writing in the first century, and in the first century, their cosmology was like this. There was earth, that's where the humans lived. There was heaven, that's where God lived. And then there was the space between, the air. And they believed that that was where the demonic forces lived, the power of the air. Principalities, powers, dominions, that's where they existed. The book of Ephesians talks more about spiritual warfare than any other book in the Bible. They're very clued in to this reality. And so when Paul says that they were ruled by the powers of the air, they were dead in their trespasses, they know that he's talking about them being ruled by the demonic forces that existed. That's what was ruling them. They were way far away from God being ruled by the powers of the air, the spirit that's at work in people who are disobedient. The Gentiles really would have picked up on this because for them, remember we talked about last week about how afraid they were so often when it came to their religion? There were so many things in their their practices of faith that were designed to make them feel like they weren't good enough and that they should be scared of these powers. Paul then adds a phrase that's really for the Jews to clue into. He writes this in verse 3. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were, by nature, children of wrath. Children of wrath. That does not sound good. That is not where you want to be. And the Jews would have clued into this right away because they would have known the stories about the wrath of God. The wrath of God that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the land of Eden. The wrath of God that sent Cain away after he killed his brother. The wrath of God that swept Pharaoh and all of his forces away in the sea. The wrath of God that was ready to kill the Israelites when they disobeyed him. And if Moses hadn't stepped in and said, no, no, remember the covenant, he would have done it. The wrath of God against his people. That sent snakes into the middle of them when they were complaining. The wrath of God that opened up the earth and swallowed people who were disobedient against Moses. The wrath of God that kept Moses himself out of the promised land. The wrath of God that said to Joshua, when you go into Jericho, you wipe out every single living thing there. The wrath of God that sent his people Israel and his people Judah into exile, the wrath of God. We don't talk a lot about the wrath of God, but we are, all of us, children of wrath, children who deserve to have the earth open and swallow us up children who deserve to be separated forever from God in hell. You were, by nature, children of wrath. Thankfully, there's a but that comes next. He says, but God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But God, says Paul, who is rich in mercy, did these things for you. And he did three things. There are three with Christ statements there. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, if you remember last week's sermon, that's exactly what he did for Christ. He raised him up. He put him over everything. He put all the enemies under his feet. So Paul is saying that same thing applies to you. You've been raised up. You've been seated in the high places. You. You've been raised up. Made alive. Seated in the heavenly places. And then he says this. By grace you've been saved. No, let me say it twice. By grace you've been saved. You didn't do anything. It's not about you. Raised up in the heavenly places. Not about you. Exalted in the heavenly, seated and right there, right there. Not about you. You did nothing. You had nothing to do with this at all. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own works, so that nobody can boast. Had nothing to do with you. Nothing. Got it? Nothing. Great stuff. Not about you. <laughs> now, why is he so explicit? Why does he say twice, by grace you've been saved? By grace you've been saved. Because he's writing to the Gentiles and the Jews. He's writing to people who've been ruled by the powers of the air, children of wrath. And both of those people knew that the way to appease the gods was that you had to do stuff. For them, religion was a lot like a treadmill. You had to keep doing stuff all the time. God was over there, and you just had to keep working. Because eventually you'd get there. You just got to keep working at it. The Gentiles had to work. They had to light candles, the statue of Artemis. They had to make sure that their ancestors' graves looked good. They had to bribe the priests. They had all this stuff they had to do, but they knew that eventually they would get there. They just kept working at it. And the Jews had this. They had 614 different laws that they had to follow. 614 laws, all of which were supposed to point them to God. Instead, they started to get really excited about the laws. They liked the laws. The laws told them exactly how fast they were going, how good they were doing. This made a lot of sense. They liked the laws. They got good at the laws. They got a little. They got good at the laws. They liked the laws a lot. And the Gentiles got pretty good at this. They got good at managing all the things following the astrologers, going over to the graves, worshiping at the temple of Artemis, buying those little silver figurines so that the people who made them wouldn't get ticked off like they did to Paul. <laughs> they were excited about this. It was good. We're going to make it. We're going to get there eventually. I mean, we just keep working. God's that way. Let's go team. <laughs> and that's what they did. That's, that's what religion was all about for them. And it's very addicting. Because if this is what a religion is like for you, oh man, you can get really good at it. In fact, you can think, 
I can get a little better at this. I can get better. I can streamline. I can focus. I can get better. I just know I can. I just gotta get better. I just gotta get better. <laughs> I'm doing good now. I'm great. My heart rate's up, I'm making the mileage. This is good. I'm any minute now, I'm gonna be right there by God, God and me, it's gonna be good. And it's addicting because people start to notice, hey, are you becoming more religious? <laughs> you're looking good. Hey, you've been praying more, haven't you? I can tell, your, little, your knees have calluses on them, that's nice. That's good. This is what their religion was like. They had to keep doing stuff, doing stuff, knowing someday, if I just do enough, God's gonna like me. If I just keep going, if I just pick it up a little, God's gonna like me. God's gotta like me now. Look at this. Look at all this stuff I'm doing. Don't you feel sad for people who are like that? Don't you feel sad for them working so hard all the time and not getting anywhere? Wouldn't that be sad if that was your experience of, of religion? Wouldn't it be sad if you thought, you know what, I just need to do a few more things and God will like me better. You know, I lead a Bible study. That would be good. We'll look good on my resume. That's nice. That'll get me closer to God. You know, and, and people do these bargaining things, you know, like on a treadmill. If I, if I run three miles, I can eat a donut. <laughs> huh. If I go to loft on Sunday night, that'll erase what I did on Saturday night. If I, uh, if I go to chapel five times in a week, That'll erase that uh, cheating I did on my Spanish test. If I uh, volunteer to be in that deacon group thingy, Pastor Mary will talk about, that's gonna help. Because what happens then is more and more people start to notice. Did you know that she's leading a Bible study and she's in that deacon group and she goes to chapel every day? That's impressive. <laughs> we think this is good. I'm gonna make it. I'm getting closer to God. I'm burning off my sins. I'm burning them right off. It's gonna be great. This is who Paul is writing to. He's writing to Gentiles who had to work so hard to get close to God. He's writing to Jews who were so afraid that their disobedience would lead to more of God's wrath. And he's writing to you and he's writing to me. People who work really hard all the time to get God and other people to like them. And Paul says, by grace you have been saved. Get off the treadmill and get onto your knees because there is nothing you can do 
that will make you right with God. Nothing. You can be a worship apprentice all four years. It won't help. You can have quiet time devotions for an hour every morning. doesn't do it. The Heidelberg Catechism teaches us that not only do our good works not help us, but the truth is we become more guilty every day just by living. By grace, you have been saved. God says, when it comes to those good works, the best good works I've done is making you. You're created in my image, created to be my workmanship, created to go out and do good things, not to earn stature and favor with me, but to be on my team. You and me together, we build the kingdom. You and me together, we participate in this project. I've laid out all these good things for you to do, not to get you any closer to me. That's like running on a treadmill. I've created all these things for you to witness my beautiful creativity, to join with me in celebrating your rescue from sin. By grace, You've been saved. Tonight we place the cross front and center. And in these next couple of songs that we're going to sing, you're invited to come forward and kneel down. Some of you have things you need to confess. You've been trying to burn off the sins with a good behavior. Some of you just need to ask God, what do you want to do in my life? It's time for you to surrender it. Some of you just need to get off the treadmill. Stop trying to please everybody else and embrace the grace that is extended to you through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish as children of wrath are supposed to do, but instead will have eternal life. It's a gift. It's grace. Will you pray with me? God, it's so tempting when other people praise our good deeds to think that they get us closer to you. It's so tempting to think that we can do good things that will balance out the bad things we do. It's so tempting to be ruled by the power of the air. It's so tempting to live out of our nature as children of wrath. But you, but you who are rich in mercy, out of the love you had for us while we were still on the treadmill, while we were still sinners, while we were still trying so hard, you sent Jesus. Oh God, how we need your grace, your amazing grace. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.